Good morning, Machias family. It's always good, huh, on a Sunday? Amen, brother. Little insurance here. Hey, we're going to back it up a second. Lions of sin. Pastor once told me the easiest way to get Christians to lie is to let them sing it. <laughs> Today we're going to hear about a church in Thessalonica. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of story. We're going to get the kids up here in just a second. They were all in. They were all in. They couldn't have done the things that they did in the environment that they lived in, and they were being commended by Paul in the letter to the Thessalonians. For the most part, this is a letter of encouragement in, in a time of, of tough trial for them. But preparing this sermon was very convicting for me. You know, God stomped on my feet you got to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, did I surrender at all? You're going to see what the Thessalonians did when they were all in, and they gave it to God completely. Are you holding something back from God? It's so easy to do. It's so easy to keep one part of your life away and say, God, that's, that's, that's mine. I want to run that part of me. We sang it. I don't know how many times. I, I didn't count. We sang it. I surrender all. Did we? Have we? You're going to see in Thessalonians what happened that the entire country around them knew about them because they were all in. I want the entire community of Snohomish to hear about Machias Community Church because God is doing some amazing things when we surrender all. All right, come on up, kids. We do a lot of stuff with water. I don't know if that's a theme, but maybe it is. And these are my, oh, I got to tell you, you guys we haven't seen for a while, so I'm so glad you're back. We missed you guys. Yeah. Yeah, you bring a lot. Now, this is our kids jam group for, for the most part. So Carol and I have done, we did kids jam for the last couple weeks. It is so amazing. It is so. I know some of you guys are here that that we're in Charlotte. It helps us helps us out and is a big part of this. And some of the parents that are there watch it. It's such a cool thing to see these kids praising God in their songs. They are so excited. They're jumping around and they're learning scripture and they're learning things about God. And this is actually just kind of a um, extension from some of the stuff we learned this week in Kids Jam. All right, so. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you ask Jesus to come in you, he comes. And he brings people with him. Holy Spirit. And we need that. We, we needed God. You know, God lives right inside you in his Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? When, when we accept Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior. And he comes in. He brings the Holy Spirit. 
so that the God who created us and who loves us so much and who loves you guys so much, he loves you so much he's willing to take up residence right inside you. And then he helps us when we're in there, when he's in there. He helps us to learn. He helps us understand what God's word said. He helps telling us that little voice inside, and you guys know it, when we're doing something we're not supposed to do, and we know, oh, God's Holy Spirit says, no, that's not the right way to go. And if we listen to him, he'll help us go the right way. But one of the things that God tells us also in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. How many of you want to be sure that you go to heaven? I do. And you know one of the ways I can be sure is that God gave me his Holy Spirit as a down payment on my inheritance. And as a seal. And that seal means it can never be broken. Never. Okay, so here's what happens. Hang on, guys. Let's hope this works. What does this say, first of all? Anybody can read that? The Holy Spirit seal. Now, is this actually the Holy Spirit seal? No. But for this purposes, we're going to say it is. So here's you. I can see right through you. Okay. Now, when you accept Jesus, he fills you up. So the Holy Spirit is the water. And does he fill us up all the way to the top? He, pretty close. You can put a little more in there, a little more Holy Spirit. Because when, when he comes in, now this, probably don't need to get into controversial doctrines here, but... Uh, <laughs> I believe the Holy Spirit, you get as much as you're going to get when you are saved. I don't think there's a second indwelling. Now, you might not be completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit, but he's in there, and he's, he's going to stay. Okay, so he puts his seal right on there. Now, <clears throat> you might call this a lack of faith. I call it a lack of faith on whether or not I can make this work. <laughs> I have no faith, uh, no lack of faith in the Holy Spirit, but he puts himself in there. And he turns himself upside down. What's going to happen when I take my hand away? Is that sealed or what? Don't try this at home. Okay, so we know... That when the Holy Spirit seals us, even when life turns us upside down, he's still there. All right. Now, unfortunately, we don't have kids' church for you to say, you got to listen to the rest of the message these guys are going to hear. Thank you. It worked at home. I'm glad it worked down here. That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so now we can back up to where we're supposed to be. And then we are going to have, whoops, too, too far. Somebody already probably advanced it for me, didn't you? Okay. 
the divine power of the gospel to bring people to salvation and change their lives forever. That's the title of this sermon. It's going to be based on 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 10, which is very optimistic on my part, knowing my track record for how many verses I get through. But first, you're going to come up and read the passage for us. I'm going to bring this around here, get it down here at your level. They can hear you. You just start whenever you're ready. First Thessalonians 1, 4 through 10. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came not to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you from Macedonia and from Achaia, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Excellent. Thank you so much, Myla. Here you go. Super job. Thank you so much. All right. <clears throat> the divine power of the gospel to bring people to salvation and change their lives forever. I am so grateful for this, both on what it has done for me personally but also as a pastor to know that I don't have to stand up here or be out there changing people's lives. The power I was told long ago by Pastor Ron as he was helping mentor me as a pastor. Mentoring way back, he didn't know what he was doing. Maybe he would question it now, but Tim, because he asked me to preach right away. I mean, I got up here, I don't know how long I was here before the first time he got me up here, but um, he said, Tim, don't worry, um, stick to the Word of God, because it's what has the power, not you. And we're going to see this later, Paul telling the people that, that that's the kind of person he is, that's the kind of person I want to be. The power is not in me. I cannot change you. I couldn't change myself. I can't save you. I can't fix you. You can't fix yourself. But God can, and he uses the foolishness of preaching to lead people to salvation, which, as you saw with the kids, also brings with it the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is in your life, and it's in your life to change you back to the image of Christ. I have a lot of hope in that, again, both personally and as a pastor, that God's Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the work in you. All we have to do, all I have to do, is remain faithful to what God has gifted me with and tasked me to do. Same with you. Be faithful to what God has given you. He will do the work. 
And so we're going to see that. We're going to see how the power of the gospel changed a group of people in Thessalonica in an area that was totally pagan. There was some Jewish believers there, and there was a synagogue. But for the most part, this is pagan Rome, and there is an enormous amount of Eastern mysticism, idol worship, and paganism in this area. Here comes this message of the gospel that Paul took when he founded the church in Thessalonica. And it catches hold. He was only there for about three to six months. And it catches hold. And this church is going to be known throughout the entire region as those who are active and on fire believers for Christ. This was not an easy place. This was not an easy time to be a believer. The Romans were worshiping gods. They had adopted the Greek system of God worship. They had a God for everything. And and so idol worship was huge. And so if you think that it's difficult to be a Christian now, today, they had it way worse. They were being killed. They were being persecuted by the Romans. They were being persecuted by the Jews. This was not an easy time to be a Christian. You paid a price for your faith. And yet, they excelled. And we have to ask ourselves, why? And I think the basis of it is in the song we sang before the sermon, I Surrender All. We're going to have to ask ourselves, if there isn't something really exciting going on in your life, if there isn't something really exciting going on in this church, have we surrendered at all? God doesn't need much of a person. He just needs all of them. Bring it. Lay it at the cross and see what God will do in your own life, in your life of your family, in the life of your church, in the lives of your community. All he wants is all of you. All right. So there are five points to today's sermon, and 10 verses. We could start a pool right now. Will Tim get through all five points and all 10 verses? I have no idea. Somebody could make us a bunch of money, though, if you get it right on the pool. Okay. Four or five points, 10 verses. No, not 10 verses. Six verses, I guess it is. Gosh, you think I could get through that many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 4 through 10. Okay, the first point, what God did through love in verse 4. The second point, how Paul could tell it was God doing it in verse 5. The result of what God did was their salvation and resulted in their change in their lives in verses 6 and 7. And then their faith became a testimony that spread far and wide throughout the area at verses 8 and 9. And then working for God with our eyes on the finish line in verse 10. So we'll just start through there and see how far we can get. Okay, so first verse, what God did through love. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now that's a mouthful right there. 
Um, for we know, this is Paul talking, and, and the we there is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He's writing in behalf of all three of them. They were there together as a trio when he started the church in Thessalonica. So we know which is the Greek word edu, which is an awareness, but it's an awareness by outward evidence. We know because we have seen it in you, brothers, who are loved by God, love the agapeo, which is God love. This is a love where God loves people for the benefit of the object being loved. So it's a self-sacrificial Love of action. God does something. And so he says, we know, we have seen, we have actually seen the evidence in your lives, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, or eklage, which means divine selection. And so I'll tell you this right now. Um, <clears throat> I did an entire sermon prep during this week, which was horrible because we were mo- I, I got moved in next door. We're in. Last night was our first night. Had some wonderful helpers. It was a great experience. And I should, I should tell you this story. Um, how many of you prayed for me for that? Because um, I have a really bad back. And so I, was, oh, I need some really strapping younger guys. And, and there were some and some strapping guys that were my age that just don't have a bad back. So I have this arthritis in my back. And... It, it, I've seen the x-rays, and, and it, it, the calcium deposits build up on my vertebrae. And, and so, the, the, you know, the chiropractor who I was spent way too much time and money with uh, says, you know, we just got to keep that thing loosened up and break it free because if it doesn't, it'll calcify and it'll be completely bound up. Okay, so I moved, and I probably did too many things last night or yesterday. And I, could, I, told, I told some people, yeah, tomorrow, man, I'm not going to be able to walk. I can already feel it, right? And so in the afternoon, should I be telling you this? Maybe. Um, in the afternoon, I, in, in, in the evening, I came home and I got into a very hot bath. This is one of the best things for me. And, and I laid there on my back. Um, you can keep the image out of your mind, but um, <clears throat> I'm laying there and it's time to turn off the water. I'm just, I'm totally laying back and I set up to turn off the water and I got a big pop. Right here in my lower back. I mean, I could hear it. And I felt wonderful. (laughs) God answers prayers for, because there was a number of people saying, Tim, are you going to be able to get up there tomorrow? I, "Mm." because there's time when I work too hard, I can't walk the next day. But God, not this time. I guess he wanted me up here today. Thank you for praying. Anyway, so we're in. But I prepared an entire sermon on a week that was very hectic on this verse right here. thought, well, do we want to go into, this is, an, this is a tough doctrine, the doctrine of who chooses who. And it was a very long sermon, and it had a whole bunch of scriptures, and it kind of turned into a teaching session. And I said, nah, nah, this probably isn't, this probably isn't the format for this. Um, But at some point, I would like to have a class for the difficult doctrines of the Bible. 
And we can examine some of these things, like how much of the Holy Spirit do you get when you get saved? Do you get a second one later, a second anointing of the Holy Spirit? You know, who chooses who? Uh, What was the condition of man uh, after the fall? Was he totally, totally fallen, or was there still some good left in him so he could choose God? Lots of things like that that I'd like to go through. So I decided after spending a significant amount of time talking to you about election... I put it aside and did this sermon because I I always pray that God's going to give me the message he wants you to hear. Anyway, hopefully we'll get through it. Um, For we know, brothers, loved by God, we know that he has chosen you. So do you know that you were chosen? You you were. You were chosen. Now, there's a basis that people have that says, well, how did God, what was the criteria that he used to choose And there's different sides of that, right? Like God's completely sovereign and just chose those. Everybody was broken. They all deserved hell. Nobody was looking for me. And I just, in my sovereignty, chose some. And so they're going to get grace and mercy, and the others are going to get what they want, which is a life without me forever. That's what they want right now, without me helping them. So so we looked at that, and, you know, okay, there there is something here. and we've talked about this verse before. So, so there's an answer, and I have a particular viewpoint on the choosing. And, I, and you know, if, you, if you don't know, I believe God chooses. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a choice that happens when you made it. I remember. I remember sitting in my bedroom when, in, when I was 12 years old and thinking, yeah, I, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've heard it all. I went through it. We had a class. We had a class at our church. For those that were potential believers, I guess, and hey, come and, you know, because before you get up there and make this proclamation, because that's what we did, we'd come up front, and, and before you do that, you know, you talk to the pastor, and he says, well, you got to come to this class, and, and we want to make sure you understand what it is you're agreeing to, and I think that's probably a good idea. You know, if you know, I'm going to call myself a Christian, I'm going to accept Jesus, I, I should probably kind of know what that's about, so they did that, uh, and so I, I, I kind of knew, and so I sat there, and I said, yep. Yeah, I believe all that, and a decision was made on my part. I did. I, I said, yeah, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want to be in heaven with you for all eternity. But the question isn't, did you make a decision? The question is, how did you get to the point to make a decision? Because one viewpoint from Scripture says, no, that was, that, it, if you hadn't done this, well, let's read this first. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I don't think he's giving us an exclusion here. I don't think he's saying, for we ourselves, you know, he's talking about him too. I don't think he's saying, well, most of us were like, there's a few of you really good guys out there that never did any of this. And No, you don't think he's saying that. So he's saying, look, that's where we were. When we were born, we started here. All those things on that list, not a very pleasant list, is it? Eh, was I really that bad, God? You know, I was only 12. I didn't have a really chance to do anything super bad. But according to Scripture, you know, none seek after me, not even one. And the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. So, but... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. We saved ourselves, not because, no. He saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And this is where we talked about in our statement of faith. And I'll even read our statement of faith, point four, right? We believe that for salvation of the lost and sinful man, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is essential. We went through that statement of faith a long time ago now, it seems like, and we spent a significant amount of time on this one um, because it says Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And so this had to happen, folks. You had to be reborn so that your eyes would see the truth, your ears would hear the truth, and your heart would accept the truth of the message of the gospel, which would change your life forever. And in order for that to happen... According to Scripture, first, not second, not after you accepted Jesus, not, bef- not, not, not while you were doing it. This had to happen so that you could even understand the message of the gospel was you had to be born again. And that was something that Jesus and his Holy Spirit had to do. Okay, so he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the gospel message, folks, right there in in 6 and 7. He poured out richly upon us through Christ our Savior. Christ, that Holy Spirit's anointing which helped us to be born again, caused us to be born again, came because of our Savior Jesus Christ, reconciled us back to God by paying for our sins on the cross, dying, being separated from God, being resurrected, giving us the promise of eternal life. And so that Holy Spirit which came into your life and gave you a new heart and a new mind was there because Jesus paid the price. So that being justified, what's justified mean? I am made right with God by His grace, not by my works. By His grace and grace alone. By grace you've been saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 7 and 8, or 6 and 7. This is not of your own doing, but it's a gift from God, lest any of you should boast. I think it's pretty clear from Scripture. When it says, I'm saved by grace through faith, and that faith came from God, and it was given to me after the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart, and he gave me the faith to believe the message of the gospel so that I could be reconciled to God. Okay. You were chosen. If you're here and you've accepted Jesus Christ, you were chosen. And in fact, it says in Ephesians, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, again... Some people would say, I'll have to give you a little bit of the other side here real quick, that God looked down the quarter of time and he could just tell those of whom were out there who were going to receive the message and agree to it, and those are the ones that are the elect or the chosen. So there's foreknowledge versus God's sovereignty. I'm a, I started out the majority, in fact, my entire Christian life with the foreknowledge view until I came here and was challenged by Ron to study it on myself on my own. I spent three years, and I came out the other side on the other end. So study it for yourself if you have a choice. Uh, but a choice was made, clearly. I made a decision. 
The question is, how did I get there? But if you are chosen. So I got into a big conversation with a fellow Christian about this who was on the other side from me after I got And I just said this. Rather than making me feel like God was unfair or mean or why didn't he give anybody, everybody the same chance, to me, this was the most precious and wonderful gift I could imagine. I'm not questioning how I got it. I'm just thankful that I have it. And so, whether you're... Okay, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> I got that one right. So, however you decided you were, you were chosen. Okay, so he's saying, look, you were chosen. You were chosen by God. And how do I think it's correct, my view? Because he goes on to say, why? Here's how I know you're chosen. How could Paul, point number two, how could Paul tell that this was God doing this in them? Because, I mean, we're going to see it later on. They have this amazing track record of what a church can do in a community that hates God. Like the one we live in. Let's just change it out on the sign. Thessalonica Community Church. Or we want to be. The subtitle to this whole sermon is the, the, the show, uh, This Is Us. Have you seen that show? I don't watch My kids watch some of it, but I think it's kind of vile. Anyway, um, this is us. I, I look at Thessalonians and say, hopefully, God, this is us. He's already told them, look, you did this, you know, you, you, you worked in faith, you labored in love, you persevered in trial. Hey, that's us. Hopefully. Hopefully in my own life, hopefully in my church family, that's us. And these people were living in a place where Christianity was not just tolerated, it was persecuted. This is us. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians and say, God, I hope. I hope this is me. I hope this is what you're doing in my life. I hope this is what you're doing in my church because this is what God had in mind when he grouped people together as the family. We're going to see some more of the things that they're doing. So Paul is saying, look, I know. I know that this is not me. I know that this is not some sort of man's thing that's going on in you. And how do I know? Because the gospel came to you not only in word, not just, not just some preacher standing up and saying some words that maybe he's got written down and he could just hand it out. No, 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 there's no power in that. There's no power in man's words or man's logic or man's reasoning. The power is in the Holy Spirit of God who came not, in, not just in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He stood in front of those people and gave them the very words of eternal life and they responded. And when those words went out, they went out with the power of the Holy Spirit and that's why he knows, nope, it wasn't Paul doing this. This was God. God chose you and now he's saving you. He came and he gave you a new heart and he gave you a new mind and he regenerated you and he gave you the message of the salvation and you accepted it. And how do I know it was God and not you? Because this is what happened. 
Paul couldn't do that. In fact, he goes on, he has some really great things to say in other places. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Experience that in your own life? You ever, you ever tried to share Christianity with somebody else that, that is a pagan? And I want to say pagan. Pagan seems cruel. Who is, who is as yet not a believer? Right? That's, it. That's how we want to look at people. We don't really want to look at them as pagans. We just want to say, and they're not yet a believer, but they're a candidate. We don't know. We just love them. We just love them and share the hope. So, but guess what? Until the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and opens their heart, this just sounds like foolishness. Christianity just sounds like foolishness. I, I, you know, I, I understand, and there's a place for apologetics and getting up and getting in, in front of somebody who's you know, denigrating God or is an atheist or something and saying, hey, I'm, I'm here to contend for the faith once we're all given to the saints. I get that. But to try to stand out and argue someone into heaven, I'm telling you people, until their minds are changed by the Holy Spirit, it just sounds like stupidity, Right? It just sounds stupid. Uh, why would I do that? Why would I give up everything? Why would I surrender all and give up all my plans for my life? That's just dumb. And it sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. So we know it wasn't us. For to us, those who are perishing, it just would be stupid. There's no way I would have responded to the message of the gospel without having the Holy Spirit coming into my heart to regenerate me, and, in, and that would never have happened unless I was chosen by God. That's the progression. And here's some more evidence that Paul gives. How do I know that this was God and not me? 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 1, going through verse 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with some sort of lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except this, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the message we have to give. Now, I understand, once again, apologetics, and I've studied it, and I've had debates with people who are non-believers. I've had debates with people who are, say they're believers and they are missing parts of the Bible. So I understand about being ready to give an answer for the hope you have, right? I get that. But according to this, Paul says, look, I came and I have a message for you. It's a message of hope and love and forgiveness and regeneration and redemption. That's what I have for you. That's what he came to them with. Not some sort of, hey, let's get into a philosophical debate here so I can prove to you scientifically and philosophically and in practice how Christianity is the right way. No, he said, look, I came with this. It's a world-changing, life-changing, heart-changing truth. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And he died. And he was raised from the dead. And if you believe in that and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the message I've got for you. That's the hope I have. Everything else doesn't matter. And so he came and he said that. He said, For I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I think he had gone through, and, and he was talking to the, the church at Corinth, and he had already been stoned nearly to death. All kinds of other things were happening. He is living in an environment that is very, very anti-Christian. He's been threatened. He's been run out of town. He's been beaten with rods. He said, I was with you in weakness. I think because of the stoning, he had very bad eyesight. 
I think it was difficult for him to work because of some of the beatings. And so he says, look, I came to you in humility and fear and trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of manly wisdom, but they were in a demonstration of God's Holy Spirit and of power. And so that your faith may not, this is the key, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but instead in the power of God. That's it, people. How do I know I've been saved? Because I actually believed this ridiculous message of Christianity. And because of that, I know God opened my eyes. Because of that, I know the Holy Spirit worked in my heart. Because of that, I know I was chosen of God. And Paul's very clear to say, look, I need you guys to understand this is not me. This is not some sort of way of arguing into believing some sort of new ideology. This is God working in you. Okay. That's how Paul could tell that he was working in the lives and the hearts of the church in Thessalonica. And what was the result? What was the result? Saving faith always accompanies life change. Saving faith is always accompanied by life change. Say it. Saving faith. This is like, this is a kid's jam now. Saving faith is always accompanied by life change. He starts out, or he's, I started out, he was already in, into his message a little bit, where he says, look, how do I know? <clears throat> I saw it. I know, or we know, he said. We know by visible evidence in your lives that you were chosen by God. How do I know that? Because you're different. You're, you're on fire for God. You're, you're spreading your message to people who are willing to kill you. You're working in faith. You're laboring in love. You're persevering in the face of extreme trials. So how do I know that you're saved because I see the fruit in your life. Because saving faith always comes with life change. Why is that? Because God puts his Holy Spirit in there. And he has both the intent and the resources to transform you back into your original design, which is the image of Christ. Can I resist? Yep. Have I resisted? Yep. Have I been better for resisting? Nope. We can resist the power of God's Holy Spirit to change us, but He's relentless. And then I can, this one I can testify to. I've told you this many times. Tim's life needed the two by four method. God says, Tim, I love you so much. Tim, I love you so much. You have gone sideways here a little bit, and you have resisted the urgings of my Holy Spirit to redirect your life back into my will and my path. And so, punk. <clears throat> and God redirected me because he loved me enough. So sometimes when we resist, the two-by-four method is employed. If you see the two-by-four method in your life, thank God for it. Sometimes later, after the lump goes down and the pain goes away, um, 
God loved me enough to redirect my life in a number of different ways and a number of different times. Some, some are very painful. But I know that God is in there because I have seen the evidence of change in my life over a long period of time. And I know it wasn't because of anything good that I had done. It's because God had given me his Holy Spirit and he's working in there just like he's working in your life. But you have to stop. We have to stop. And I can just tell already I'm not going to finish. But application, application, application. Why are we hearing these words? Just so we can say, cool, the Thessalonian church, good for them. And go living the same kind of life I've been living. No, no, no. The power of God's word is saying, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit out with these words into your heart right now and say, look, examine yourself. Am I a Thessalonian? Am I? Am I doing the things that they did? Is the rest of the world hearing about my life? Do people look at me and say, yeah, you're different. You're weird. Why are you doing these things? Why do you just love people? Why do you just help people? Why do you want to be nice and and, and share this Jesus guy with people? Are they saying it? Are you hiding it? You gotta look at this and say, you know, like again, this was a foot stomper, you know, toe stomper thing for me. Am I a Thessalonican? Is the evidence in my life the same? And so here, the result of their salvation was life change, verse six and seven. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word, in much affliction, and yet with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. They had enough change in their life that it became obvious to everybody around them who they were. And so they were becoming imitators. Imitators of of, of Jesus. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be an imitator? Let me share with you a couple verses and see if we can tell. And I, I'm pretty sure Paul, I mean, he did say it, though, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So follow me as I follow Christ. So he, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. I'm not going to say that. But, but Paul did. He said, look, imitate me if you want. Why? Because I'm imitating Jesus. But then he says this in 1 Peter, or, or 1 Peter, Peter says this, He who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. For it's written, you shall be holy as I am holy. If we want to be imitators of Jesus, he's saying this, be holy. And again, we talked about this before. And I don't want to go into it now. God, holiness is something God wants for you, not from you, because you don't have it. How, do, how does God create holiness in me? First of all, I was set aside. Holiness is sanctified, being set apart. For, for divine purposes, right? That, that, was, that was me. I didn't do it. God set me aside. But he says, I want you to be holy. Why is that? Be holy like I'm holy. I, know, I remember Ron saying this. He said, I heard this early on in my Christian life, and I'm thinking, well, that ain't ever going to happen. I'm not Jesus. That's a pretty tough example to have to live up to, isn't it? Be holy like me, God. <laughs> No, no, here's the deal, Tim. I'm going to put myself in you. And if you get your hands off the wheel and surrender all, I'll make you holy. 
because that's where you need to be to find peace and joy and satisfaction in your life because your sin is going to destroy you. And so it's going to be very hard for you because now I put this myself in there and I've changed your heart and now your sin is going to be really caustic to you. And so holiness is something I want for you because you're my children and I want what's best for your life. I am going to make you completely holy when this life is over, totally. Sin nature, gone. But for now, the more like me you are, the better off you're going to be. Be holy as I am holy because I love you. How else am I imitators? I'm only really giving you three things, but they're biggies. Be holy as I am holy. In John, 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I shared that with you last time. By this we know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Christians should love. If we're going to be known far and wide like the Thessalonians, it ought to be because we love one another. Can I use you? I'm going to use you. Shane and I had a a conversation. Uh, He he was helping move, and we were riding back and forth. He just said, how do people out there live in this culture without having the love of their church family? I don't know. I don't know. And, and so we saw those demonstrations of love yesterday as people came. And, and all the time, as I watch you guys, and I, I, I shared, I went and sat in with the, the, the tail end of the ladies' Bible study um, last week, and I just said, I am so grateful for you because I see God's love working its way in you and through you as you serve one another. And they got these little outreach things that they're doing, and when something's going on, man, they're on it, and they're talking to people, and they're coming alongside. I see God's love in action in so many of you. I know it's out there, but that's imitating Christ, that we love one another. That should be. If we're known as something, I want us to be known as a friendly church. I want us to be known as a family church, but I want this. I want this. We were loved. We came to Machias and we were loved because they are part of the family. I want everybody to feel that when they come in here. I want us to be known far and wide as the church who loves As God loved us, we can love others. Be imitators of me. Be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and yet with joy. See, they were were loving even when it hurt. I don't know exactly how you get there, but I hope we get there. Okay, I don't know how much I can abuse you today. Um, so point number four, their faith became a testimony that spread far and wide. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't even need to say anything. You already know, everybody already knows all about the church in Thessalonica. For they themselves report concerning us the reception you gave us, that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the one living and true God. So this was a, a, a country of idol worship. And this radical message of the gospel that made no sense from the outside came to them and they gave up idol worship to turn to the one true living God. Now we have a lot of obstacles 
And, and we say, well, uh, did I turn from idol worship? I, I didn't actually worship anything that was built like a, you know, statue or anything. But I had idols in my life. I hope. I bet you did too. Stuff, recognition, comfort, pleasure, drama, um, thrills, adrenaline junkie. There's plenty of idols in our culture. They don't necessarily look like wooden statues of animals or people, but they're in us. So as the church in Thessalonica, we also need to turn from idols and give it all to the one true living God so that we can be holy and find the satisfaction and the peace that God intends his children to have right here, right now. They did. Good for them. A church on fire that was being heard throughout the known world. Mm, These guys got something. And then point number five, working for God with our eyes on the finish line. And to wait, he's telling them, for his son, who from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this is one of those kind of negative um, gospel presentations. Hey, there's a wrath to come, right? There is a heaven to be attained and a hell to be avoided. So here's the, here's the deal, guys. I know it's hard right now. There's a lot of things going on, both inside you, as you battle your own sin nature still. It's still in there. It's hard. It's hard. It wants, it wants what it wants. It wants to overtake you. But I've given you my Holy Spirit. Give me your sins. I'll take them from you. I'll, I'll help you to avoid temptation and sin. But there's also the stuff outside. In a world that we're living in, it's really difficult. Maybe we'll be persecuted in our lifetime. Maybe we won't. But it's, it's still not cool anymore to be a Christian. But here's what I need you to do. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the finish line. It's hard here. I know that. It's hard here in your life. I know that. Keep your eyes on the prize. Now, not just so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You heard that one. But, but our hope is not for this life, people. Our hope is that Jesus came, reconciled us back to God, so that we will spend eternity totally fixed in perfect harmony with God and one another in a kind of love that we can only imagine. And we need to keep that in mind because life is hard. And to just to light that fire in us, that we have that hope, that message that we can share with a lost and dark and dying world. And they are. So keep your eyes on the prize. Examine yourselves to see, is God working in me the way he really wants to? Am I like the church? in Thessalonica so that people can see the change that God has brought in my life and it gives me an opportunity to share the hope that I have with others because they're saying whatever it is you got I want it let's pray your father this is a this is a big task it's completely impossible for us we know that but not for you we can make You can make us like the church in Thessalonica. We could be known. Your power is unlimited. Your ability to use us to do your will and further your kingdom is unlimited if we only give ourselves completely to you. That's what I pray, Lord. I'm going to thank you in advance what you're going to do in us and then do through us to further your kingdom here in Snohomish. I just thank you and praise you in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.